0: Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, author, coach, and healer, Andy Grant. Real Men Feel is here to remind you that men are human beings and they have the right, the need, and the desire to express and feel all of their emotions. Your authenticity and vulnerability are superpowers. You can learn more about how I help people do that at theandygrant.com. Today, today, (laughs) we're gonna venture into the kitchen uh, in a talk with Chef Brother Luck. Brother is an award-winning chef, entrepreneur, and advocate for the pursuit of self-discovery. He is on a mission to prove to others that while our past is forever part of who we are, it does not determine the people that we become. Brother has appeared on Chopped, Beat Bobby Flay, and Top Chef. He also owns two restaurants, Four by Brother Luck and Lucky Dumpling, both located in his home of Colorado Springs. And he has just released his memoir, No Luck's Given. Welcome to Real Men Field, Chef. Hey, I'm honored. Thank you for the amazing intro. Well, it's your amazing life I'm talking about. So, you know, it's gotta come full circle, right? So it's a blessing. It's a blessing. What got you first interested in cooking?
1: Uh, you know, I got into cooking out of necessity. Um, you know, I was looking for uh, food. I, I was food insecure, so to find the, the the opportunity to have a steak sandwich every night, um, that's that's really where it started. So I got into restaurants. They kind of adopted me. Uh, you know, my father had passed away when I was young. My mother was lost to the streets, and um, kitchens are, is is where I found a home. It's where I found a family, and you know, that, that turned in shortly into a career.
0: And So how old were you when you discovered that the kitchens could, were a safe place for you?
1: Yeah, I started working in kitchens when I was 14 years old. I used to get paid under the table, uh, cash in a steak sandwich, maybe crash on a bartender's couch. And, um, you know, by the time I was 16, I was, I was fully engulfed in culinary. Uh, I was in a vocational school in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it was one of, the, one of the programs where you had the choice of, of choosing an elective. Uh, You could you could take, you know, uh, cosmetology, you could become a mechanic, you could take electrician. But I chose culinary because it was guaranteed meal every day. And uh, I had no idea that these grown men that I got to apprentice under at that time uh, were going to become such uh, strong mentors for me who, you know, really helped me build my own confidence. Mm.
0: So that relationship went beyond student and teacher.
1: Yeah. You know, for me, it was, I didn't, I didn't want to become a chef until they told me I was good at cooking. And I think that's what a good mentor can do. They can, they can insert themselves into your life and make you feel confident about yourself. Um, and for me, it was about chasing that next, you know, piece of approval. I wanted that next nod, that next validation. And, uh, I did whatever it took to make chef go nice job. Uh, so there was a a lot of being yelled at in between all of that, but you
0: know, it, it builds character. So prior to chefs telling you "nice job," was there anybody in your life that that conveyed a positive message to you? Well, they weren't positive;
1: they were negative. You know, I was in the streets, so to hang out with the pimps, to hang out with the drug dealers, to hang out with the gangbangers. These are people who all wanted something from you. They wanted to use you to do things for them, and uh, a lot of it wasn't positive. So, you know, between my father passing when I was ten years old to eventually landing in kitchens um, and culinary at sixteen. Um, there was a number of years where I had the wrong role models, I had the wrong mentors.
0: How did you realize that? Like what told you that I'm following the wrong people or now I found the right people?
1: Um, You know, it wasn't, I, I don't think I realized I was following the wrong people until I started to remove myself from that environment and they started to seek me out. Where are you at? How come you're not coming around? Oh, you're a sellout you know as soon as i was excluded from that from that environment because i removed myself from it i realized that wasn't the path for me and you know when you when you kind of step to the side and you observe you can see what what's going on in the world and you know it, it was an endless cycle of of people ending up dead or in jail
0: now traditionally cooking has predominantly been seen as women's work yet most of the top chefs the famous chefs are all men so how can you, exp- how does that discrepancy come about?
1: Yeah, I, I think most professional kitchens for a number of years have been a male dominated role, right? Chef means cheap. This means leadership. Uh, you are responsible for running a brigade, you know, kitchens actually uh, got their brigade system from the military. There was a French chef who uh, came out the military, saw the, the disorganization, and he added that into the very first Ritz-Carlton and he said, you know, we need somebody to report to somebody. And uh, it's a great way to fall in line as far as, as running the kitchen. Um, but yeah, as the years have passed, I mean, some of my greatest mentors have actually been women in the kitchen. Like they're way more hardcore than most men I work
0: for. <laughs> cool. Now you mentioned your, your time on the streets. So was was finding refuge, was going into uh, the culinary arts, was that looked upon well from from people on the streets, the people from your past?
1: No, I, you know, I, I think as, as I kind of started to decide I wanted to pursue cooking, um, I got a lot of negativity and, and they didn't understand it. And it, I, I was kind of in that point where it wasn't for them to understand, this was for me. I realized, you know, I probably wasn't going to be going on any type of scholarship. I didn't have anything lined up for college. I was just trying to make it through the day and to actually start finding um, the desire to want to do something beyond high school Uh, That was exciting. You know, when they told me I could go to college for cooking and like that was like a textbook, I was going to get a book on meat, I was going to get a book on potatoes. I'm in like that that sounds like a really cool book. That's way better than algebra.
0: (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Cool. Um, Is it a difficult leap to go from chef to celebrity chef with all of your TV appearances?
1: Uh, you know, at first, I think it is, I think, you know, being thrust into the limelight, whether you're an athlete, you're you're uh, a TV personality or you're a celebrity actor. I think being thrust into the limelight is hard because there, there's a certain level of um, there's a certain level of, of of comfort that people have that is is unfamiliar. You know, it's it's kind of like you don't know me, but I've been vulnerable enough to share a piece of my story with you. So you do kind of know me. Um, and you kind of have to roll with that, you know, and in today's age with social media and the way there's there, they have the ability to comment immediately on on what they feel. Um, you kind of have to take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt. But uh, it's not real. Like celebrity celebrity chef is not real. Like I still have to walk my dog. I still got to mow the lawn. I got to do the dishes like I still got to run the everyday things in my life. Um, so it's not like I have this, you know, amazing, crazy. You know, celebrity lifestyle like that's that's a glimpse. That's ten percent of my day. Yeah.
0: Mm. So your memoir is titled "No Lux Given." What does that title mean?
1: I got no lux left to give. Like you know, I, and it was it was being PC with it, um, because I was I was at wit's end. You know, as far as breaking point. Like I think as men we have this uh this tendency to think talking about our emotions makes us look weak, so we hide them, we shove them down. And eventually it's going to break you. You know, you can only tap into those, those, those fears and those struggles and that anger for so long until eventually you break. And I I think for the longest time for motivation, I was using my fear. I was using my anger to motivate me to get through the next project, to to fuel me. And and it, it was draining me. It's exhausting. You know, when you, when you drop a wall and you have to tap into something on the other side of that wall, you have to let whatever was over there come in and that's going to tax you. And you know, at some point I just I finally broke. And I, I think that was a, a, a moment in my life where I realized I needed to make some changes. And you know I think our stories are meant for other people. It's not meant for us.
0: We have to share it. I, I mean that's what motivated you to write your story. So it's really to, to share your experience.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's more than just, you know, having a, a tough childhood. It's it's making the decision to persevere. It's making the decision to write a new story every morning, to not give up, to find hope. Um, and then eventually to, to begin to understand who I am as a person and get into the emotional and the trauma and the, the PTSD and all these things that we carry on our shoulders for so long um, until eventually you break. And how many people are breaking without talking about it?
0: Was perseverance a natural skill for you or did, was that something you needed to learn?
1: No, I'm a survivor. I mean, you know, what I've been through in my life as far as uh, not really having any parental figures, um, being around the people that I was around, doing the things that I was doing, I'm a survivor. And, and that mindset has always kept me from, from ever giving up. Like, I don't quit, I'm gonna keep fighting, I'm gonna keep getting up, I'm gonna keep swinging. And, uh, you know, when I, when, I, when I first learned that word perseverance, it just was powerful. I was like, that, that's me
0: in, in a nutshell. So you mentioned your dad passing away when you were ten. So were your first ten years stable, and then that was a big breaking point, or you know, what was your childhood like?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think when you're when you're in a, a household where you know you're just a kid, you're innocent, you don't know um, what's what's wrong, what's what's not, and you know, for me, growing up in San Francisco, like city lifestyle was a city lifestyle. Um, there, there wasn't anything that I, I thought is like being troubled or, or, or challenged, uh, until later when you realize, oh, you know, there is some wounds, there is some scars there. There is some things that happened that I need to address, you know, that sat on my timeline for a long time.
0: So you've mentioned a few times that you hit your breaking point. And was was that, was that once you had started your career, was that as, as an adult?
1: Yeah. You know, I was, I was filming my second season of Top Chef. And, and I just, I got into a dark place. You know, I was going with a lot of things in my life as far as, as relationship, as far as emotional things that I had been running from. And uh, getting on Top Chef the second time, getting kicked off, it triggered something I didn't expect. You know, the PTSD uh, was, was immediately just put into action after, you know, finding that, that rejection and, and kind of just being like, I, I don't have anything left to give. And, you know, the thing about being on those shows is you're, you're in what's called a sequester. So as soon as you get kicked off the show, they put you in a hotel room, you know, and allow you to kind of like have a timeout. But they don't—they want to keep you around because they still need to do some filming, some pickups. But you're—you're you're disconnected from your world. You don't have a phone. You don't have um, a key card. You don't have your wallet. You're—you're you're just kind of at the mercy of production. And um, you know, I found—I found the lowest point in my life of, of a bottle and some pills. And fortunately I was able to wake up the next morning, you know, and and that was kind of that moment of looking in the mirror and saying, I got to make some serious changes in my life because that split second decision that I made last night could have affected a lot of people. Um, You know, I think, I think a lot of us hit that point, but we hide it because we don't want to be labeled. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to be judged. Um, It's hard for a lot of people,
0: especially men. Do you find that who can be the worst judge of brother, other people or yourself? Absolutely myself. I'm my
1: worst critic. i'm I'm my worst demon. Um, but I, I think what I've learned is is you know an enemy is always going to to separate you from the pack. you know to watch a lion separate a gazelle, uh, to get the higher ground, to get you against the wall, to get you by yourself. Um, you're easy prey at that point. You're you're an easy target. So I think when, when we're dealing with our enemies, whether it's ourself or or it's spiritual, at the end of the day, being isolated is the worst thing that you can do. And we have to realize we need a pack, we need an army around us, we need a team around us, we need, you know, our, our 12. And and that's something that's so important for me is is to realize like don't don't fall victim to, you know, being pushed into this corner by yourself because you're not alone.
0: Is a professional kitchen uh, a sort of a family that is supportive of your mental health, or is that rare to find?
1: Yeah, I think I think kitchens now, professional kitchens now, are becoming very uh, aware of emotional um, responsibilities that they have for their staff, and uh, I think that's something that's that's so important as we move forward. But for a long time, it wasn't. You know, you're talking harsh environments, you're talking screaming, yelling, hands throwing, flames going on you know there's pressure there's there's stress there's there's a constant demand of focus pay attention let's go um, we can't stop eventually you get into this habit of you're just going to numb yourself until the next shift and I, and I want to ch- I want to see that change in my industry so it's one of the reasons I'm so vocal about mental health is we shouldn't have to numb ourselves until the next shift that's not that's not healthy
0: so how is your kitchen different
1: you know, we, we talk about things. You know, first it starts at the top, right? You have to leave from the front. So I'm very open and vulnerable about my story and what I'm going through. And and I think that's kind of a, a, a big step into the right direction. Uh, we create unique opportunities to, to have more discussions, to change to t- change thought process and dynamic. You know, one of the things that we do every year is sober week, where I make the decision not to drink. I make the decision to to be completely sober for the whole week and I'm going to host a series of early morning activities for us to all get together to, to really just prevent you from, from wanting to go out at night. But then, you know, the team building there, and it's everything from mental health discussions with counselors to kickball tournaments, restaurant versus restaurant, um, you know, serving in the community, yoga in the restaurant. We, we've done all kinds of things throughout the last couple of years as we've done sober week to just change the, the dialogue. You know, it's okay to choose a different lifestyle than what, has been presented to you for so many years, and this is the expectation of what you think it is. Yeah,
0: cool. totally agree. And how have those new activities been met by your staff and the community?
1: It's been absolutely well received. It's been amazing. People have been so just, you know, uh, supportive of, of everything that we're doing. Um, I, I learned a long time ago that restaurants mean to restore, it comes from the word restore. So it's about restoring your community. And, and I'm heavily involved in my community, which is why my restaurants are su- successful in my community. They support us because we support them. We're engaged. We know what's going on, whether it's at-risk youth or it's domestic, domestic violence or it's our military. All of those things are part of our business that we're involved
0: in. Now, when, she, when you reach the, the status of someone like yourself, you're, you're an author, you're a celebrity chef, you're a business owner. Do you still find time to enjoy cooking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think cooking's a never-ending lesson. And and it's, it's a beauty that it's part of my career. It's part of my job. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there's something so special about being able to learn from so many cultures, so many years, so many ingredients. Um, you could spend lifetimes in the kitchen and never learn everything. So, you know, uh, it, it's constant education. So anytime I cook, I'm learning something about the food or I'm connecting to the, the ghosts of my past, you know, the the grandparents and the ancestors who left these recipes for me to read. You know, that, there's something special about that.
0: You know, I had already put on my vulnerable shirt today and then I saw I a, a line attributed to you that uh, if you're gonna be one thing, be vulnerable. So, yes. So tell me what that means to you.
1: Yeah, I think vulnerability is courage. I think it takes a lot to be vulnerable, um, to put yourself out there. As a chef, I do it every day with my restaurants. I'm judged on every plate I serve. Someone's paying for an experience, and they're going to give us their feedback most of the time. So, you know, you have to learn how to be vulnerable and and learn how to embrace it. And I think the fear that is surrounded by vulnerability uh, is, is a part that you've got to eventually learn to embrace. You know, fear will never go away, but you can learn to manage it. And I think when you learn to manage fear um, and and accept those butterflies, then it can push you into into completely different you know realms of of success.
0: I, I imagine being a chef, owning your own restaurant. It's got to be really challenging to take that judgment plate by plate, person by person. So, do you ever have you ever outgrown that that kind of taking it personally if someone doesn't like a a meal?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, there's certain parts where my job is to train my staff. My job is to to give a solid education. You know, I provide three things to my team, uh, tools, training, support. And and I want if I can confidently say that I've given those three things to each one of my team members, um, I support what they're doing. Uh, the difference now is it's not just me as it was 10 years ago when I started my businesses. 10 years ago, it was just me cooking, you know, and I took everything personally because I cooked it. Now I have you know fifty employees, and I'm training sixteen year olds seventeen year olds. They don't have twenty five years of cooking experience, so you know i I can't take something like that personally. I have to take the training personally, and uh, you know that's kind of where we start.
0: I wonder if you come across sixteen year olds that remind you of yourself that are looking for that uh, safe place that that chance all the time. you know I
1: spoke to three hundred high school students yesterday and I was blown away by how engaged they were for 45 minutes. And and I see so many of them of my and, and, and from myself to them, I, I see it. Whether it's the 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 scared child, it's the the traumatized, you know, victim, um, it's the the egotistical street kid, um, or the person who's just trying to find their way. Like I see so many different elements of myself and so many other people. But I think that's what so that's what being a good mentor is 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 helping other people find courage in themselves.
0: Do you believe that courage is actually within everybody?
1: I do. I think I think the moment you can accept that there's only one you, there's there's never going to be a another version of you out there. That that recipe is one of a kind. And the moment you can look yourself in the mirror, the moment you can smile back at that person and tell that person that you love them. Um, that's powerful, that's confidence, that's courage. And I, I think we need more people feeling feeling empowered to, to, to look themselves in the eye. Because I think a lot of us can't, right? Where we have shame, we have trauma, we have you know, insecurities and a lot of us just hide it. And that's not, that's not the way to deal with it. You know, you're never gonna get past where you are today if you don't begin to deal with yesterday.
0: When when you're talking to to young people, to teenagers, and and perhaps even younger, are you still saying them getting the same message to like just keep it yourself, shut up, don't share, like shame is more important than anything else?
1: You know, until recently, yes. Um, I had a I had a young teenager just the other day. Um, I was speaking in Brooklyn, and the the kid said, um, "You know, it's actually the opposite." He goes, "Kids, my generation now are." going on social media and not glorifying how cool their lifestyle is. They're complaining about how bad their life is for attention. And, and I think that's a completely different mindset of, of where a lot of our generations were to where they are today. I mean, to, to, to constantly have a platform to talk about how tough life is and then have people console you, um, they're getting fed something on, on these platforms that isn't real uh, and it's not addressing the real problem.
0: So, as someone that had the traumatic childhood, had lots of insecurities, uh, not sure of your path, uh, how did the the suicide of Anthony Bourdain, uh, you know, a, a top celebrity chef, how how did that impact you? What's well,
1: the craziest thing? Um, you know, the night I tried to kill myself, and I woke up the next morning, my TV was still on in my hotel room. And the newscast was the announcement of Anthony Bourdain committing suicide in a hotel room. That was what I woke up to as a chef on a TV show competing in front of millions on national television. Like that, that was such a, a punch in the face as far as, you know, this is real and he didn't wake up. I I did. And, that, and that, that's something to be said. That was a, That was a moment of of clarity, you know, call it divine intervention.
0: Yeah, that's amazing that so I'm a suicide attempt survivor myself. And I know that that waking up after an attempt and, you know, not sure of what, but that not only your survival, but then seeing someone else in such similar circumstances not survive. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine what that day felt like for you.
1: Yeah, it's hard. And, And, you know, there's so much shame associated with it because I'm broken and I'm selfish and it's about me it's not about anyone else but then you realize how many people can be affected and i know the effects i've had you know family members and friends that have that made that decision and been successful so you know i mean it's one of the hardest parts about living with it now is is talking about it and knowing how it affected how it affects other people now because you've broken trust right you you shared it that that that's that was your choice that was your decision to leave and end it all and stop the pain. And you know, how does that make your spouse feel? How does that make your family feel? You know, that you you they weren't good enough for you to stick around. Like and that, that's not the case, but some of us are so broken on the inside, we get to that point. And you know, I think when you have mediums to to start to numb common sense, it's uh it's pretty it's pretty legit.
0: So that day, with with Anthony's news in front of you, with your own experience just barely behind you, what did you do? like how did you did you share a meeting with people? Did you just sit with yourself for days? what What was your next no. next steps? you know my my first step
1: was was tears. You know, I, I remember looking in the mirror and crying in the bathroom, like just shame, looking at myself. um then it then it turned into, you know, I reached out to the producers that you know I was on the show with. And told them, hey, I need help. I can't stay here. And I would like to speak to the therapist. Um, and they got me in touch with a the therapist on, on a conference call and told them where I was and they they let me go home um and let me out of my contract. And uh I still didn't I didn't deal with what what, what sparked it all. I went right back into work. I went right back into to being so busy, I didn't feel anything, right? It's a different type of addiction. It's a different type of of, of medication uh, work. And you know, eventually, I had one conversation with my therapist coming home, and he said, he told me something that I didn't expect. He said, "You know, brother, this is probably the first time you chose you in in that survival, that survivalist mentality. You know you, you've been a victim for so long, you can just resort to getting behind the wall. And this time you actually spoke up and said, no, I need help because you know, that's a big step. You know, it's showing that you now are aware of where you are with your mental health. And that was that was a, a moment of empowerment.
0: Yeah, I've often said that the, sometimes the bravest thing a man can do is ask for help.
1: Yeah, yeah, we have to ask for help. I mean, you know, good, good leaders, good warriors, they 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 do it with a team. You know, if you want to go, you want to go far, go by yourself. You want to go fast, go by yourself. you want to go far, go with the team.
0: Is is there one or two things that worked well for you in your growth, your recovery, or whatever you want to call it, that, that you would want to recommend to others?
1: I I think what's, what's helped me the most has been, you know, understanding that it's a constant battle. Like it's not that something you just won yesterday or, 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 you know, you overcame that demon. This is something you live with this is something that's constant but there's an awareness now and i think the moment you can accept the awareness is the moment you have to make a choice and every morning i wake up and make a choice today's a fresh page i got a pen what story am i going to write i get to choose that story you know and and when i feel those those moments coming on where i want to hide i want to i want to isolate myself I'm, I'm 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 feeling that funk overcome me um i have to choose that am I going to stay there or am I not? Because it can last for weeks and it's horrible. And it's such a, a, a tough way to live because we take it out on the ones we love the most. Like they don't deserve to catch the brunt of it because we think they're not going to go anywhere because they love us. You know, eventually we're going to break down and, and that's not right. So make a choice. I think that's, you know, if there's any advice I can give to somebody, you know, be aware of your awareness.
0: Yeah, awareness is really key and something I was blind to for for a long time and also uh, the notion of empowerment and, and taking each day. Cause I, I was sounds like you, I was like on for a long time on this automatic pilot of waking up on oh, another day. It's going to fucking suck like the last one. And just, that's mm-hmm. the autopilot we can be on. And it takes choice. It takes empowerment. It takes us deciding, no, I'm going to consciously choose something different. And, and I find when it, because it's a new conscious choice, it can take a lot of effort, but eventually yeah. that becomes autopilot. Like, Oh good. Another day. Sweet. Right. is Is yeah. that your experience?
1: Absolutely. I mean, and i see too as as i started to release this book and i've had people give me feedback on the book they're like i had no idea which tells you how well i hit it yeah. i was broken on the inside but nobody was was worthy of of me sharing that with and eventually you know i couldn't handle it and i and i i wonder how many other people are feeling like that and they feel crazy until they hear somebody else was going through the same thing you know for me it started in a men's group you know when i heard a whole bunch of other grown men talk about like where they were, you know, with insecurities and, and, and fear. I realized I wasn't crazy mm. all these years. I thought I've, I've been like that just, you know, internally. No, there's everywhere. A lot of people go through those same feelings and these are strong men. These are, these are soldiers. These are, these are our farmers. These, these are strong men that, you know, I respect and, um, to hear them talk about some of those things just gave me some more
0: encouragement. Yeah. In my experience, the strongest men have the strongest feelings and Mm -hmm. everything else is a freaking mask and a lie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We create a perception, you know, what, what do you want the world to see? And for the longest time, I created this perception of Chef Brother Luck. Chef Brother Luck for a long time was the opposite of who I was as a person, you know, outgoing, very vocal, uh, entertaining, always on stage. But in reality, I'm a very antisocial person. I, I'm a hoodies and a headphone kind of guy. And I created something that I was extremely uncomfortable with in my work life. And I don't know if that was meant to embrace it, but it was It was to a point where my wife goes, who am I talking to? Am I talking to Chef or am I talking to Brother? Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that. There was two personas that I was living because I was, I was creating this perception
0: of the world. So is there one brother luck these days?
1: Yeah, you know, it was one brother luck. And, and it finally got to a point where I realized I didn't have any friends. And, and when I told my wife that, she goes, well, you created that. You're too busy for everyone. You've made it very clear. You're chef and you work and that's your priority. And people stop inviting you to stuff because they just assume because you never come anyway. So I had to make the decision again to be aware and to choose to pick up the phone, to choose to initiate the conversations, to revisit my circle and rebuild my circle and rebuild the relationships that, you know, I had lost. I mean, you know, some of that stuff was so petty. <laughs> it's easy to fix, but it took, you know, a willingness. It took a, a vulnerability. And, um, you know, it's because I wanted to just, I wanted to be me. I didn't want to have to be chef and then I wanted to be brother. Like that's that's too much work.
0: So you mentioned speaking a couple of times already. So is is that the brunt of your mental health advocacy work?
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I, whether it's small groups, um, you know, we host small groups here at my restaurants every week for restaurant workers, uh, to come in and talk about where they're at as a safe space, no matter which, which level you're at from ownership to, to dishwasher. Um, or it's talking with high schools or it's, or it's speaking at corporate events. Um, or even on pages. I mean, to me, it's it's be vocal about what you've got to say. And, you know, you can help a lot of people by sharing your story. Because people people need to realize that they're not alone.
0: Brother, what's the, is there a best way for people to find out more about you and learn more about the book?
1: Yeah, you can always check me out at Chef Brother Luck across the board. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, all that, all that good stuff. And then our website, chefbrotherluck.com. Um, direct link to, you know, our, our restaurants, our store, our story, um, or just Google my name. It's a, it's a crazy name. So this it's, it's pretty much about me, which is awesome. Um, yeah,
0: you're not getting mistaken for other people, other Brother <laughs> Lux? <lucks. laughs> there's, not, there's not many. There's not many. <laughs> Very cool. And uh, one more question. What's one thing you wish more men knew?
1: I wish more man knew the freedom of the tear. I think to allow your emotions to be expressed is actually very healthy, you know, to, to release it. Um, otherwise it's bottled up, it's inside. And, you know, it's just, it's going, that, that, that door is going to, to get, you know, it's going to burst. Don't get to that point. Um, you're not weak. You're not weak for expressing emotions.
0: Amen. Awesome. I, I would love to see someone open a restaurant called that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, best of luck with with the book launch, and engagements, um, and everyone else. Thanks for wherever you're listening and discovering Real Men Feel. Thanks for listening, tuning in. Please subscribe, follow, like, share this with somebody. Put a review, a comment. You can always reach out to me at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Always glad to hear from you. And until next time, be good to yourself. And if that means letting some tears flow, please do it. Let them flow.